This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If I were to tell you that the social network LinkedIn is cool now, what do you think you'd say? I think LinkedIn has to be categorically the most cringy social media out there and is incredibly inauthentic. Hmm, that feels like a pretty firm vote in the not cool camp. I think I suffer from secondhand embarrassment when I see a lot of times what other people post on LinkedIn. This woman didn't want us using her name for work reasons. But other people, like our colleague Nadira Goff, went with the idea that LinkedIn might not be cool, but it is useful. A good tool to have in your toolbox. As a journalist, it can be really easy or helpful to verify that a random name that I found on a website actually is the CEO of a company. Or to find sources, or for sources to find me or verify that I'm actually the journalist that they think that I am. And I would be remiss to say all of this without also saying that LinkedIn is how I found my current job posting. Listener Robin Y also wouldn't go quite so far as to call it cool, but... But I do think LinkedIn is a really interesting social media platform. When I'm the second, you know, I'm looking for new work, I go on there and I'm like, all right, time to get my premium locked in. And I think it's a way that And if you feel like you're out there in the mix of the job search environment, then also, you know, people do use it to post more personal, fun things. And so I think it's kind of like a, there's a give and take to it. The reason I asked this question in the first place is because of a story I read in Bloomberg Businessweek. A story by Sarah Fryer, who edits tech coverage there and has reported on social media for a decade. And Sarah's story had the headline, Sorry, but LinkedIn is cool now. What? Stop. Explain. It's all in the data. I mean, okay. Do I think LinkedIn is cool? I'll I'll use it begrudgingly because I have to. But... There are some people out there, there are a lot of people out there, um, 41% more often than a couple years ago, posting content, using LinkedIn like a social network, um, the way they used to post on, on Twitter, the way they used to post on Facebook, just doing all that stuff on the Join My Professional Network site. It's really become a place for for conversation, for thinking out loud, At a time when all of the other social media platforms are really pulling away from that and making themselves more about video, more about celebrities, more about entertainment, LinkedIn is still about knowledge. And Hmm. I think that that is comforting and, and stable. And maybe stable is cool in an era of, you know, economic tumult and um, people trying to get jobs. So today on the show, we are going to make the case, God help me, that LinkedIn is where it's at. 
I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like all good journalists, Sarah found inspiration for her story in daily life. After Elon Musk took over Twitter, she noticed that when she posted links to her stories there, they didn't get much traction. And the same thing happened when she posted on Instagram and Facebook. The platforms prioritize video now, and links just don't do the kind of numbers that they used to. So I was really struggling just in my own career to figure out, okay, where do I post now? What what do I do? And I don't think, you know, I was seeing Mastodon, Blue Sky, um, all of these alternatives to Twitter propping up, but it's just not going to build the habit for people because the network isn't there. People don't want to build a network from scratch. They've been there, done that. And I think that Places that have existing networks become so much more powerful. And I I found myself, when I did post on LinkedIn, it used to go into kind of this black hole. Um, Maybe I'd get a a reaction or two from somebody in in marketing um, who's on LinkedIn all day anyway. Now, when I post something on LinkedIn, I get real conversation out of it sometimes. Hmm. And that started this this thinking, like, is this really happening? Are people really spending their time scrolling on LinkedIn? And then over the summer, um, we had an intern at our office in in San Francisco, and she wrote this devastating newsletter about how she'll never have a Twitter account, because why would you? And um, I asked her, like, where, where are you posting instead? She was like, oh, LinkedIn and Instagram. I was like, really? A, a college student thinks that it's way more acceptable and worthy to post on LinkedIn than, you know, any of the places that I think I'm supposed to post. What are people writing there? Is this the traditional, like, congratulate Sarah on her work anniversary or or what? I haven't gotten a work anniversary. Congratulations. I believe it's coming up in September if, if you guys want to <laughs> hit me up. Um, but But I think that really what it is, it's a lot of people just, for lack of a better term, thinkfluencing, like posting what's on their mind and then tying it back to work in this kind of like, just in case my boss sees 
last minute. I, I saw someone today post about how she's been unemployed for, you know, 82 days and it's really been emotional for her and she could tell that it was affecting her kids and her stress was boiling over into her motherhood. And, and um, you know, this was her way of saying that she did get a new job, but it was really personal, way more personal than I am used to seeing on LinkedIn. That was just this morning. That Yeah, that feels like an old school Facebook post. It really does. And that's kind of how it feels on LinkedIn sometimes. Um, that behavior does not happen on Facebook anymore unless it's from, you know, a much older generation. Younger generations grew up posting, building their digital identities. And when it comes to work and their professional identities, they're not keeping the same job for 40 years. I think millennial and Gen Z professionals are much more likely to hop from employer to employer every couple of years. Um, maybe even try out an entirely new industry, an entirely new skill set, or have a side hustle. And I think that what people are realizing is that it is it is beneficial to have an identity outside of their employer. And that identity is is like the same kind of identity they'd build anywhere else on social media, just for a targeted purpose. When we're using Instagram, we have I wrote a book about Instagram. Um, you know, the way people used it over the years, it became less about like, oh, here's what I see through the lens of my camera, like, and I'm sharing it with you. It became so strategic, so curated, so about like, who do I want? How do I want to be seen? Hmm. If somebody is looking me up because we're going to go on a date, like, what do I want them to think about me? Um, and I think that Twitter, too, became more professional. It used to be like, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm at this concert. It's pretty cool. Like, you're just posting about it. Then, you know, it becomes the place where as a journalist, I'm posting my scoops, I'm, I'm posting um, what's going on, I'm trying to look for community people who will, whose work I, I can compare to and promote, and um, maybe they'll promote me. And so I think that becomes professional and strategic. So like every network is becoming that way. LinkedIn is becoming more acceptable. Like societally, we are, we are fine with people, you know, hustling. We're okay with grind set. We're okay. <laughs> I mean, I think LinkedIn's become a little less like that, thankfully. The the broetry era of 2017, um, you know, where people were just uh, talking about hustle culture and, and working till they dropped um, and having their butter coffee. I think we're past that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the pandemic was an era of realizing, like, Work and personal life are, are deeply intertwined. Um, we worked from home um, in many cases if we're, we were in um, jobs that we could do that with children at home in some cases. So I think that, like, the lines have blurred. And ambition in general, like, ambition in general is, is linked to how you think and how people publicly recognize you as an individual, like, what makes you different than everyone else. When we come back, LinkedIn has influencers now. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law, and the Supreme Court. 
The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output, bringing you weekly episodes from here on in, because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety, eviscerating cases on the docket. So follow Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning. I was really astonished in reading your story that you talked to a woman who is a LinkedIn influencer, for for lack of a better term. I don't think I understood that that was something that existed. It's really been something that the company itself has tried to drive. They're a little, I think, slower than some of the other platforms in, in really getting it. But in, in 2011, they, they started trying to get CEOs and and the kind of people I remember, you know, Ariana Huffington, like news anchors, like people like that were getting to be LinkedIn influencers. And that's like the established A-lister types of the professional world. And the way every social network works over time is you have the celebrity, the high-level people using it, but you also end up having the people who are striving to be like those, the grassroots influencer. And I don't think that a social network can be culturally powerful until it has people who have become stars because of their content there. Because then then the new users can look at that person and say, oh, I want to be like like them. Like want to have it become self-replicating. And it can become self-replicating. It can it can fuel future use of that network. So um, what LinkedIn's done in the past couple of years is they've added podcasts, they've added newsletters, audio. People made fun of them um, a lot when they added LinkedIn stories. Like, are you really going to watch a 24-hour disappearing thing that I do? But but there are some people on LinkedIn who just really, like, kind of spend their, their professional effort there and have consulting businesses off of it or um, mentoring businesses or advisory businesses. And, and the person I talked to, Saleha Rizvani, she has a book um, that she was able to sell well because of a book on confidence because of her LinkedIn following. One of the things that I find really interesting here is that LinkedIn has clearly gone through a remarkable period of growth. You've talked about it, but they seem to capitalize on a very stable structure behind that. Tell me a little bit about the company. It's almost easier to explain in contrast to the other social networks. Um, because what we're seeing at LinkedIn is, is a little bit of stability, which is not what we've gotten in the advertising industry at large. When the advertising industry is what fuels Meta, it's what fuels Twitter, um, now called X, um, Snapchat, Pinterest. Like they're all dependent on on ads, which means they're all dependent on attention. Which means that you know when a player like TikTok comes in and has a better way to capture attention through short um, TikTok videos, Facebook makes reels and Instagram makes reels and tries to do do it that way. And then they also copy TikTok's algorithm to um, make it less about like a social network and more about entertainment. So I think that that. Um, you know, the other companies have had to dramatically change and and Twitter had to sell itself. Um, right. You know, there's an, there's an argument wh- whether they had to sell themselves, but certainly it was the right economic, like, 
purely on a, will they make a ton of money off of selling themselves to Elon Musk? They did. That obviously led to a lot of dramatic change at that company. So I think LinkedIn, the reason that they're different is they don't just depend on an advertising business. They have one, but it's not their main thing that they do. They have a recruiting business where they connect people to people who might be good fits for the jobs that they're looking to fill. They have uh, a sales, what's called sales navigator, which is like a way to, if you're trying to sell a product, find you the right kind of clients, the right hmm. decision makers to buy those. And it's they charge quite a bit for those premium packages of LinkedIn. Um, so I think that that's allowed them to kind of, hard to say benefit, but you know, we've, in times of economic turbulence, people do need that kind of a tool still. The culture of professionalism on LinkedIn also spares the platform some, though certainly not all, of the harassment and hate speech problems that other social networks have. There are also fewer pylons and flame wars. People, when they get in fights, they sort of publicly resolve them. <laughs> it's, it's a very strange <laughs> thing to see. I saw, you know, the other day somebody, like, totally trashed someone else's um, newsletter. And then the person who wrote the newsletter replied and, and explained, you know, I think you're misinterpreting, you know, this is really like, I plan to do more on this. This is what I think. And then they were like, oh, that's actually really smart. Um, actually, I really like your content. So it's it's just like kind of uh, refreshing maybe to see like conflict that gets resolved as opposed to escalated on social media. And I think that that is probably mostly because people know that the professional world is watching and their livelihoods are connected to their real identities, which are connected to what they're saying in public. LinkedIn doesn't report average user numbers, but the company, which is owned by Microsoft, says posting is way up. And so is revenue. In 2020, according to Data and Sarah's story, LinkedIn fiscal year revenue was $8.1 billion. By fiscal year 2023, it had jumped to $15.1 billion. The way LinkedIn explains it is like during the pandemic, there was, as I, as I talked about before, this merging of the professional and personal. And people were, were sharing a lot more personal content on LinkedIn and kind of building that habit um, and also using LinkedIn to, to stay connected to the workplace while they were working from home and kind of getting familiar with, with it from a more of a social network tool as opposed to just like a digital resume. And then after the pandemic, um, there were layoffs. You know, we have thousands of layoffs at Facebook and and Google and Amazon, like all these companies that people thought were like stable, great places to work. And not just in the tech industry, right? Like we've seen cuts across the board. People have called this the summer of striking. Um, I think that there's been a lot of a lot of professional angst and reasons for people to to post. And the statistic that they provided the 41% growth in content posted between um, spring of 2021 and spring of 2023, I think that that's just crazy growth for a network that's 20 years old. And it's not just growth in like the user number, because I think the user number has kind of been steadily growing. It's growth in the the behavior, um, which is really what I was more interested in for this piece. Can they keep writing that? wave of growth or or is this such a 
narrow and specific set of circumstances that that has given rise to this? I mean, I think they have to capitalize on it while they can. I don't know that everyone's going to want to start a LinkedIn podcast or a newsletter there. Um, but I think, you know, like any platform, you need to make it worth it for your users. And I think that what they might get from specifically the LinkedIn user who is who is like a, a inherently professional mindset or they're doing this, you know, not just because they need an outlet for their thoughts, but because they want to establish themselves in some way. Maybe they find ways for people to make money, like really build on that influencer business. And I know they're doing some ad sharing, um, but I think I think like they might need to to pay a little bit more attention to that kind of monetization tool um, because we've seen this across the board, like people will start using something, um, build up a following there. And then if they can't make money off of it, they'll they'll get bored or they'll get burnt out or um, they'll go somewhere else where they can. I think one of the reasons I found your story so fascinating and, and that I find LinkedIn so fascinating is that it is so different and its importance in kind of your life is so different depending on who you are. Not unlike all social media, but... I once had a boss who said she would never hire someone who didn't have a good LinkedIn page. And I remember thinking, that's completely deranged. Like, I have the most minimal LinkedIn page that you could possibly imagine. But it did make me think after reading your story, like, oh, oh, do we all have to be on LinkedIn now? Like, is this another social network that I must tend to? I think that, like... You don't have to if you're not trying to change your job or whatever. But I do think that if you are posting on LinkedIn, um, you're probably going to have a better chance of that kind of thing getting seen by a network of people you wanted to reach than if you were to post on another network at this point. Like, I, I think that the table stakes are having that digital resume. So you're telling me I can't stop. I have to stop doing stupid jokes on Twitter now. Oh, no, you should keep it up. I think Twitter is a great place to do stupid jokes right now because there's just not a lot of people hanging out there. So <laughs> the stakes are lower. Just be, be yourself. Um, I, feel like, I feel like actually algorithmically stupid jokes are doing way better on Twitter than they used to. Um, it's all about the memes. That's why they don't want news links. They want it to be all about, you know, like if you do an image post, this is your, you know, listeners who are trying to figure out Twitter now. X now, I should say, if you do an image post without a link and like some text at the top, Twitter will think it's a meme and love it. It'll do some big numbers. Maybe, if it's good enough. So if LinkedIn is looking at this data, all of these posts, they're reading your story, do they think they're cool now? And if they think they're cool, does that mess with what they're doing in the first place? I think that... LinkedIn, the response I've gotten, at least from the people who are like hardcore LinkedIn users, is, hell yeah, we're cool. We've always been cool. And finally, somebody recognizes it. Um, and then the response from everyone who you know, sort of begrudgingly uses LinkedIn is like, oh my God, no, never. Like, I wouldn't be caught dead, like relying on LinkedIn as my my main, you know, microphone to the rest of the world. And and I think that, that that shows their challenge, right? Like they probably need to maintain LinkedIn as like this utility. 
Um, but they also need to, and they plan to lean into this fact that people are engaging with this content and liking this content, and they want to, they need to encourage it. Um, they call it knowledge content, like people sharing their thoughts, um, which is like a very nerdy way to talk about it. But yeah, I, I mean, I think I think they have potential to capitalize on, on it, and and if they do want to do that, they probably have to do it before. Threads becomes a thing, if Threads becomes a thing. Sarah Fryer, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Sarah Fryer is the big tech editor at Bloomberg. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is Vice President of Audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we are doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. That's Slate's membership program. If you become a member, you get all your Slate podcasts ad-free. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. <laughs>